Welcome to the Divorced and Happy Podcast, where we discuss all things act two. I'm your host, Sadie Marie. Today, I am in good company with my guests, four delicious divorced dads, Tom, Sylvester, Dennis, and Todd. Join us in our playful, heartwarming, raw roundtable chat where we openly discuss the highs and lows of fatherhood after divorce. These dads get real and bond along the way. Whether you're a divorced dad who needs some encouragement or a divorced mom who's just curious about what divorced men really go through, this episode is for you. If you've found value in my podcast or are just listening for the first time but really enjoy today's episode, I'm going to ask you to consider buying me a cup of coffee. It's easy. Just visit www.buymeacoffee.com. And you can buy me a cup or two online. And I thank you in advance for your support. Now, let's meet the dads. Well, today I am joined by dads from all over the country and even the UK. Sly representing the West Coast, Todd, the Midwest, Dennis, the East Coast, and Tom from across the pond in the UK. Good morning, delicious dads. Good morning. And good morning. Good, morning. And good afternoon to you, Tom, in the UK. And thank you so much for being part of this candid, playful discussion on what life looks like for a divorced dad. I know I'm excited to hear your insights around fatherhood and life after divorce. And I'm also a little giddy to have the attention of four men for about 45 minutes. So. <laughs> But I'm going to share the microphone. I'm not going to monopolize the questions, but I do want to ask an initial question that I know you all have a burning question or two from each other because we're here to learn from each other and also have just some fun. So my first question for the panel is I have to ask this. What is a new skill you've learned by being a divorced dad? <laughs> um, I'm Tom, uh, obviously the guy from the UK. Uh, I have four kids, uh, two boys, Will and Sam. They are 12 and 9 from my first marriage. And then I'm very lucky enough to have uh, two bonus children or stepchildren uh, in Leonie and Zach. Leonie's 15 and Zach is 11. Uh, the new skill I learned, it was more of an adaptive of a skill I thought I was very good at, but turns out I wasn't, uh, is communication and really understanding what communication is, not necessarily what I'm putting out there, but how the people were receiving it. Yeah, I, I kind of get that, Tom. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Dennis. Um, I have two kids. Daughter is 16 and my, my son is 20. I think for me, the, the new skill I've, I've picked up really is just kind of listening without without judgment, you know, over the years. You know, as, as you know, kids say, say a lot of dumb things sometimes and you want to, you know, just kind of jump in and, uh, you know, kind of uh, be more prescriptive and directive, but um, just listening and, and just, you know, um, empathizing with them. Um, I found that to be really helpful. So I've developed that skill as well. This is uh, Sylvester from, from uh, San Diego, California. You know, when I got divorced, my daughter was two. She'll be, uh, I only have one child. She'll be 17 next month in June. But mm -hmm. the thing that I learned was um, how to do a girl's hair. Because I had no idea. Oh, I love that. And I was a, <laughs> a single dad for a while. I had primary custody at that point, And I was like trying to figure it out. And that's why I'm bald. I cut all my hair off so I could capture it on hers. So that's exactly what I have. That's a true story. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm Todd and I'm from Minnesota. And uh, my kids are boy, girl, girl, 24, 22, and 16. You know, after uh, we split up the first time I had them over, I cooked dinner. and 
that are like, dad, this is really good. I said, well, what did you expect? Because their mom was a stay-at-home mom. She cooked pretty much all the meals. And we, if I did eat something, it was like frozen pizza, you know, because I didn't have time to plan anything, you know. So, so I'm like, what did you expect? We've we, they said we expected either frozen pizza or delivery pizza. <laughs> so Way to go, I've, Todd. I've kind of learned some cooking skills and I had grilled up some chicken. And can you teach mom how to grill chicken? And I'm like, <laughs> I will not be teaching your mother how to grill chicken. <laughs> that, that's a limiting decision right there. So, um, and some of what I learned too was just parenting from two separate houses. It was a lot easier going to bed at night and getting on the same page about how we we're going to do something or how we we're going to correct something. Maybe that happened during the day. And now we had to do that, you know, via the phone or text. And, and that can be a little bit challenging at times. Yes. Co-parenting. Absolutely. It sounds like, Tom, you've been doing some co-parenting in a unique way. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, sure. We were talking about it a little while ago. And uh, just to share a bit about our story in the simplest way, um, my girlfriend, uh, her and her ex, well, now ex-husband, they had been separated for some months, um, about sort of six, maybe eight months at the time, um, when we met. Um, I was actually still married um when we then later subsequently got together and then by some weird walk twist of fate uh, further down the line um about sort of six or eight weeks later both of our exes ended up together as well so we of course have this whole like blended family on one side with the four this the four kids but they're also going back to the alternate home with the alternate parents at the other house as well so like we had to find a way to work together and it was i mean don't get me wrong it wasn't all sunshine and lollipops the whole time we went through the court processes and what we call child arrangement orders or custody and uh, and kind of services being involved and things like that so it's really really bitter and contentious but we found our way through and um yeah now we happily co-parent no word of a lie about half an hour ago i was driving back home from the shop with my, with my stepdaughter and my ex-wife drove past the other way going to her boyfriend's and it was like big beep wave hi how you doing big smiles and it's, it's just nice just friendship really did anybody else have uh did anybody else find it a struggle in, in the co-parent side from like how to get on and finding that new realm of what your new relationship is yeah for a little bit there i i had a girlfriend and uh my wife didn't want to be in the same zip code as her and wouldn't refer to her by name she just if she texted me about her it was gf like your gf so that was a little harder on the kids the divorce process took a little bit of time and i didn't really want to upset the divorce process and push that issue but once i was officially divorced then i didn't care as much about if we were in at the same venue or not so that that was a little bit unnecessary strain i think that didn't have to be there and then what about later on though like introducing the kids to, to, to was it to this to that girlfriend or is it someone else in, in, in that process of introducing a new partner the the kids were fine with it. I mean, in, in some senses, they get it or accept it more. And they have other kids and friends that, you know, have divorced parents and whatnot. So they're they're a lot more used to it than I think I would have been growing up when divorce wasn't as common. Oh, yeah. So um, we got divorced. This is Sylvester. We got divorced in uh, 2007. And it's still tough, unfortunately. Uh, we went back and forth. Uh, I had custody and then she came back and fought for it. And there was a bunch of other craziness that went on. But eventually she was able to get custody. And uh, so that was really tough because I've not really been allowed to see her. Uh, my daughter in about, uh, let me see, she was almost 10 years. Oh, sure. And so wow. it's, it's, it's a little tough. 
is still as a little bit contentious. So I talk to her as much as I can. I'm writing her a letter now. Uh, she's got questions and she's very upset. And so because she's been told, I, you know, you just dad did all of these horrible things. Right. And uh, I remember saying to her, though, just to add some levity to this, um, I said, you know, your dad has made a lot of mistakes in his life to the point that you don't have to make anything up. Like, you know, like, like I've done enough wrong uh, than to have to make things up that I really didn't do. But uh, I'm writing her a letter to help, help, help her see some things. And I know, Dennis, your divorce, with your divorce, your kids lived in a different state. Yeah, yeah. So um, the start of our divorce, we were living in the San Francisco area. Um, and it just so happened that the beginning of the divorce coincided exactly with me losing my job. Um, and this was 2009, you know, everybody knows, you know, the big recession of 2009. And I ended up actually being unemployed for two years as I was going through the divorce process. And during that limbo period, my ex wanted to move back east. And, um, you know, I wasn't sure when I would find work or where. So make a long story not so long, you know, gave her permission to move with the kids while I was, you know, the house in California was in my name. She could work from anywhere. She, she wanted some flexibility. So they ended up moving to North Carolina. So that was, that was really difficult. It was probably the lowest point of my life. Eventually, I got a job in the D.C. area, moved here, obviously much closer to North Carolina. It's about a six-hour drive. Um, I see my kids, um, you know, not as frequently as I'd like. We have a visitation schedule. We have a, a functional co-parenting relationship. It's not as communicative as it probably could be, but, you know, we make it work. And um, the most important thing, the kids are great right now. I have a f- fantastic relationship with them. Keep me and say it's Tom, but I suppose by the accent, everyone's going to know who it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to start doing your accent. Right. I'm going to start doing your accent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. like Tom. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll put on my, my, my best, but probably would be a very good American accent. I'll, 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 pick a, I'll, I'll pick a tone and say, hey, it's Tom. Um, but, <laughs> I thought that's pretty good. Um, I was going to say, what was one of like, I mean, I, I remember what it was like, and I, it, it seems like this, I'll be honest with you, it feels like a bit of a distant memory for me because we do have a, a positive co parenting relationship and the kids go freely between the two homes and we have the schedule that's stuck to and it, it, it's 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 nice actually in all honesty and it, like I said it feels like a bit of a distant memory sometimes but then when I hear other stories and I'm work when I'm working with clients as a, as a divorce coach it does kind of all bring it back and one thing I was going to ask is like how do you guys all cope with that like and what experiences did you have in terms of the, the distance either physical or emotional and communicative like how did you cope and what did you do to get through that? For me, I wasn't seeing her anyway. This is Sylvester. I wasn't seeing her anyway. And I lived in Dallas at the time, and that's where you know they live. And so I waited until she was about 13, and then I moved to where what made me happy. And so I moved to San Diego. I've always wanted to live here. So I've been here about four years, almost four years now. Uh, I love the beach. I love non-extreme weather. But yeah, so, so it was just sort of that. And yes, there's a heart tug for that. I know that when it happened, my daughter was like, dad, you left me. And I'm like, no, I didn't leave you, right? I, I wasn't seeing her anyway. Like her mom was not allowing me to see her. The courts weren't helping. I went to court, spent a bunch of money, and they still didn't do anything about that situation. So um, so yeah, so, so the distance does bother me a bit, but, it, but I'm in a better headspace because I'm in a place that makes me happy, if that makes sense. Being by the beach, being by the water, having the sun makes me happy. And I explain that to her. I say, it makes me happy. And I I think the lesson for me and for her 
is to, and it's hard to say this to your child, right? Is that dad has to put himself first and I want you to put yourself first. And that's very difficult to say to your your, your child because they don't necessarily understand that yet. Yeah, that, that, that actually really resonates with me, Sylvester. Um, I remember when I first realized that I was getting divorced, you know, I, I, I went to Google and kind of Googled, you know, what what's some advice for, for divorce? And, and the first thing that popped up was the, um, the analogy of being in the plane where the, you know, the, the oxygen drops down and you're supposed to put on your oxygen mask first, you know, essentially make sure that you're okay because you're only going to be as useful to your kids as as you are healthy, you know, so to speak. So yeah, that, that really resonates with me. Um, one of the turning points and kind of my perspective on the whole kind of communication thing, I was, I was completely devastated when my kids were about to move to North Carolina. And even though it was, you know, with my, with my express permission and I just, you know, was in a really bad headspace. I've been unemployed for a couple of years and just really, just really at a low. The turning point came for me when I kind of changed my perspective from resisting all of that and fighting against it and, and feeling sorry for myself to thinking, okay, accepting it. Okay. This is the reality. This is what's about to happen. And then the very next kind of almost automatic thought was, okay, if that's what's about to happen, if that's reality, then how do I go about being the best, you know, long distance dad, you know, that I can be? And, and, and then my focus just shifted to, you know, what can I do to be the best long distance dad? And, and that, that really energized me and enabled me to um, kind of uh, get in a better headspace and, you know, just have a healthier attitude and I think just uh, be a better dad for my kids. Great point. Yeah, Sly, I, I would say to you in your letter, talk to your daughter about the type of relationship you want to have with her when she turns 18 or she's able to make her own decisions, not her mom's and say, this is, you know, I still love you. And this is how I, this is what I envision the future and what I want to see for us, you know, going forward. And that day will be here, not that far down the road. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, I think that's a great idea. Painting, painting the picture that you want versus mm-hmm. arguing about what happened, you know, because I really don't want to do that. I don't want to go down that negative road. I want to talk about the future and what I'd like to see happen. Yeah, someone else painted the picture for you, but you can paint your own picture now. I'd also encourage you to just be as unconditional with your love towards her as you can be, regardless of what you get back, man. Because eventually, you know, um, even though it may not seem... That's so tough sometimes. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah, man. Yeah, it's it's tough. But um, I I think um, it's going to help you, you know, in the final analysis, kind of just have a be at peace with everything. And and I'm I'm telling you, man, um, it's going to get through, you know, um, no matter you know, what you think it's, it's, she's going to, she's going to feel it. So I, I'd encourage you to just as much as possible, just try to do that. No, I appreciate that. I can, uh, I, in fact, I had a question for you guys, if I could, how do you tell the truth without dogging out your ex? Mm. That's like the, that's the question of the divorce year. We moms have oh that question God. too, Sylvester. So I'm all ears. <laughs> Gentlemen, go for it. Um, I will answer first. My, when my wife and I, we talked about it, we, we spend about a week talking about questions like that before we announced to the kids. And we had just said, hey, this is for work. I have a lot of employees. Messaging's important. Words are important. And so we just said, look, it's mutual. Fell out of love. It happens. You've seen it before. We still love you. And we just took the high road and we weren't going to talk about details or much more than that. We just kind of said, you know, when you get 25, maybe we'll talk because by then they, they were old enough. And, you know, I just kind of figured, you know what, they'll figure things out along the way without somebody having to tell them that did our best to try to stay on the high road as much as possible because nothing good can come from sabotaging the other person, even if it's the truth. Sometimes you're just better off like burying that a little bit and say, here's our current reality. 
we're moving forward. It's not about what happened in the past. Todd, can I marry your wife and then get divorced from her? <laughs> she's going to behave like, I wish my ex was like you. Exactly. Collaborative, because mine was not, is not. Our, our marriage was not what I would call horrible. Um, but it just wasn't where it needed to go for the next 20 years. And uh, so I've always tried to take the perspective on relationships of not having regrets looking backwards mm-hmm. um, and to try to always be moving forward. Todd, I think you kind of had an ideal situation where at least, you know, you guys were able to philosophically align on how you're going to move forward. Agreed. We, we never explicitly really did that. There was an occasion where, you know, we had some emails going back and forth and she was sharing some things about the kids and, you know, them um, being, you know, depressed or, uh, distressed. And I, I asked her the question, like, you know, I said, are you, you know, saying things to them about me that are negative or saying things about me that are negative within earshot of the kids to other people? And and I said, I, I don't think that that's healthy for them in any shape or form. You know, I don't do that. I, I've, I've never, <laughs> you know, said anything negative about you um, to the kids. And I, and I will not because we need to prioritize the kids' state of mind. You know, they, they, they can't, they're not capable of understanding this stuff at this stage um, of their life, you know, and um, the most important thing is to protect them. You don't want it to create a situation, you know, you're, you're putting your kids in a situation where they'll be in therapy over this stuff, you know, years from now, you know, we just, it's, it's really avoidable. I think the kids will be afraid of marriage or relationships. You know, they'll just, yeah, they'll just have this distorted view of things because, um, and I think, you know, we had one situation that actually happened not too long ago, about five years ago or so where (laughs) it was to me, a very kind of clear violation of things. Um, Something that she did where I had to talk to the kids about it, but, the way I put it was not so much, you know, demonizing her. I essentially told them what happened was, you know, a thousand percent wrong and should not have happened and um, left it at that. But it was a pretty extreme situation that had to be addressed. And that my view is if I need to, you know, if I, if I had to kind of swallow something that um, is distasteful, right, let's put it that way, for the sake of my children's well-being, I'm going to do so. I basically have taken the opinion that I'm not going to, you know, the position, I'm not going to say anything negative about their mother and uh, for the for the good of my children. At times, it's been difficult, but I've been able to, I, I can honestly say I have, I've not, I've not, I've not done that so far. I think, you know what I think, though, Dennis, what happens is that for all of this time, I've been able to say things like, you know, well, my daughter's name is Madison. She says, Madison, you know, think about what you know about your dad. Would I, would I do that? Do you really believe I would do that? Mm-hmm. And that's kept me from saying anything negative. Sure. Well, now she's 16, about to be 17. Mm-hmm. And her questions are direct. It's like, mm-hmm. dad, I need to know because you did this and you mm-hmm. did that and you right. killed the dog and you blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, okay. And she wants to know. Like, she really wants to know. Different level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can no longer just say, well, Madison, you know, that's not working anymore. I, mm-hmm. I need to be able to answer those questions without dogging out her mouth. Mm-hmm. And so that's, so, that's it's, it's very difficult. So one way I would maybe approach that is to say, like, you know how in um, leadership management, there's different styles and it doesn't make one style right or wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and your mom's style of coping with this divorce is one way. 
And it's kind of to dog me out. And my style is a different way. I want to focus on positives in the future and I don't want to dog your mom out. And so they're two different styles and you're going to have a hard time reconciling the two. But we have to, I have to stick with my style and you got to understand that because I'm not going to, I'm not going to parent and dog your mom out and tell you she's lying and tell you this and relive the past. Yeah. And I think think about the fact of, I was with my children as well, about how they learn and what they take away from it, whether they're young or, or teenagers or, or, or young adults, that they don't learn from necessarily from the words that we tell them, they learn from our behaviours. And, and as Todd's saying, even taking that kind of management style approach to it, it's what do you want to teach them? Um, what do you want to teach Madison? Um, and I always think about it's my behaviours that the kids will take away and what lessons do I want to teach the kids? And as parents and as dads and whatever, we always want to teach them those, those positive ones, don't we? Like kind of compassion, empathy, etc. So how do I show them that in my behaviours and consistently and back it up? Just going going back to what Todd said earlier, that kind of high road side of things, those kind of there were times, don't get me wrong, there were times when it's boiling up and I won't use some particular words that I imagine me and Dennis would probably be using a minute ago. But, <laughs> um, but even sometimes when those things are boiling up, I have to kind of stop and think to myself, well, actually, how does that benefit them? How, how, what, what, what positive are they going to take out of this? And is it just a point, is it for point scoring or, and then you've also got things like kind of just considering your language as well. You can still approach situations factually without using um, negative or accusatory language and, Right. the finger um, and things like that but maybe while she's physically she's pretty she's getting to that paper they are going to start asking as well and they're going to want to start to know about the big wide world and, and i think i think sylvester also um she's probably at an age where it's really appropriate to start you know sharing with her some some general truths about life right and that people make mistakes man you know you're you're human you're you're, you're her mother's human and you've both made mistakes that contributed to you know, the downfall of the relationship and um, that as she moves forward in life, you know, and she has her own relationships, she's going to make mistakes and um, her partners will make mistakes. And, and the important thing is how you recover from those mistakes and, you know, whether you're going to be, um, um, you know, supportive and, and caring and considerate and forgiving or, or, or not. And um, we're all on this journey trying to be better people, you know, and, and you know, um, I think it's, it's appropriate to maybe start, you know, talking to her in those terms and um, helping her to understand more generally that, you know what, yeah, you know, I'm flawed and as is your mother, as are you, as is every human being walking this planet, right? But your love for her is um, completely unconditional. Love this dad helping dads, dads helping dads. This is fantastic. I'm curious, Todd, uh, do you have any questions that you want to ask our dads today? Yeah, so let's move it to something a little more current. So not so much about the divorce, but the dating scene. I learned from uh, Sadie's podcast that what the term ENM means, and uh, I didn't know. <laughs> I try know. to educate, I, Todd, I do. I try to educate. I saw that in dating profiles. I had no idea what that meant. And, and then I've also learned from the movie Crazy Stupid Love what the closing line of, do you want to get out of here, um, does. I used that in a bar to amuse myself one time <laughs> and because uh, uh, I was not looking to take this gal home, but I, I had just watched the movie and I'm like, do you want to get out of here? And she goes, I'm not going to have sex with you, but yeah, we can go somewhere else. 
and I'm like, what? <laughs> My mind was blown. So what nice. other what <laughs> other cheat codes are out there that I don't know about? So what other Until cheat we... codes do you want the gentleman to share? Is that what yeah, you're asking? Yeah, what, okay. what have we learned in the dating scene? What What's the inside scoop on uh, language that I don't know about or clues? First of all, does everybody know what ENM means? I don't, no. Oh, I do not. Todd, enlighten Tom, please. Ethical non-monogamy. So you can have more than one relationship going, but at least you're upfront about it. Yes, you're transparent. I'm going to put my hands up. Uh, I'm probably the worst person to answer this question because obviously I met my partner whilst I was still married. So I don't know if I should be giving advice to people who are married to start going dating. Um, it doesn't <laughs> seem very ethical. Uh, so I'm going to let Dennis answer this one. Safe choice, Tom. Safe choice. <laughs> and, maybe, and maybe there's no more cheat codes than those two. But I, I just got such a kick out of the out of this interaction with having watched the movie. Like, I'm just going to say this just to see the reaction. And I was blown away at the reaction I got. So a memorable date. I think one of the one of the things that I've learned is to go slow is 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 awesome. And what I mean by that is, you know, you you'll meet different partners that are in a different space than you. So, like for example, like when I when I had just come out of it, you know, there were people that I met, women that I met that were just like two days. Oh my God, I'm so in love. And it's like, no, no, you're not. I promise you're not. You don't know how stupid I am and how crazy I am. There's something wrong with me or whatever. To to try to like alleviate that but yeah it's like um i don't have to go as fast as they want to go i think would be a, a really good uh, good place to be a good, a good twist see and my more serious question is almost the opposite of that i am much more apt to fall quickly and i don't really want to right now because i have a 16 year old and with the gf you know had some issues between the two of them you know when that ended i kind of said you know what i'm probably better off just not really having somebody real solid, real move-in material until she's done with high school and is off to college or whatever. And I find myself wanting to sort of pump the brakes on my own feelings of wanting to be with somebody. And that's a little challenging for me. I don't know if you have any advice. I'm like you, Tom. I'm like you. I want to fall in love, but I tell myself to stop. You're like Todd. You're saying Sylvester? (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry, Todd. I meant to say that. That's There's okay. too many T's. I know. Stage. We have Tom and Todd. How about you, Dennis? Um, I'm, I'm kind of on the other end of that spectrum. I'm, I'm a little gun shy. I find myself being really kind of cautious. I've actually, you know, had to explicitly up front let people know that, look, you know, I'm a little slow when it comes to like the emotional connection, you know, and um, are, are you okay with that? <laughs> right? Because I've, I've found that in general, you know, most people, you know, when they feel a certain level of, of, of click, you know, kind of want to move right into a relationship for me it, it takes me a little more time to to connect and i'm not to be honest i'm not even sure why that is you know maybe it's just my personality or maybe it's um i don't want to be a player no more <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, uh, no, no, it's not. It's not that. It, it's not that. Um, um I uh, just, uh, yeah, it just takes me. Just take takes me a little bit of time. Yeah, but I, I'm still hoping to uh, have a meaningful or have meaningful, you know, relationships and connections. Cause I, I don't like, you know, I don't, I don't pursue kind of fly by night stuff, you know, either. That's just not satisfying to me at all. So I want some substance, but um, I want to build to the point of, you know, us being in, you know, this big, uh, big romance. And Dennis and I have a friendship outside of this podcast, and we've had a lot of conversations around monogamy and non-monogamy. And since my divorce, I've been really enjoying the world of non-monogamy 
monogamy. But I feel like an atypical female because I feel like a lot of women, no matter what age, if they've been divorced or not, want monogamy. (laughs) So I'm curious for the gentleman here. I would love to learn. I mean, Tom, sounds like monogamy is working out for you. We're all happy for you. That's fantastic. Yeah. And that's fantastic. You know, I'm not anti-monogamy. I just didn't know if it's, you know, what I want in my forever. But I'm curious from the other gentleman. Do you feel pressure by society to remarry? Do you feel pressure by society to be in monogamous relationships? I don't know that nowadays, from a society standpoint, I don't necessarily feel the pressure there. And, you know, I came from a very, very deep religious background. And so I'm no longer part of that. And so I'm a lot more open to relationship styles, especially living in San Diego. You kind of have to be. And again, I'm from St. Louis. So there's a huge contrast in um, what you see and and what you're around. I remember being on a date. This is kind of funny. I remember being on a date about a year after I got here. And I was talking to, to, to the woman. We had a great conversation. Everything was going good. We had some fun. We were in, if you guys know San Diego, we're in La Jolla. It's a really pretty area. And then we went to, shit, there was a whiskey bar that was not too far. She liked whiskey. I said, okay, let's go have some whiskey. Well, whiskey sort of becomes a true serum. And uh, can, people yes. start like open. <laughs> it can. And we were talking and, and I said, you know, we were talking about past relationships. She said, yeah, my, my last relationship was uh, polyamorous. And so in my mind, you know, I'm a techie. So I started putting, I said, poly, that means many. So, so that's, I said, it's like an open relationship. She says, no. Absolutely not. She got offended that I thought it was an open relationship. And I said, she said, no, she says, I was in a relationship with a guy and there was a woman that I met and I liked her and and he liked her and we lived together and we were committed to each other. And I was like, wow, wait a minute. I guess I've done that and didn't know I was doing it before. Okay. <laughs> I was dating three women in midlife, right? Sylvester? Oh my God. It was crazy. I couldn't believe that I actually had done that uh, in my thirties. So, yeah. So I think that, that, but I don't feel pressured, especially here because here it's like, man, you know, hippies and stuff like that. I live by the beach. How about you, Todd and Dennis? Do you feel pressure to be remarried? Do you want to be remarried? Does anybody minus Tom in this panel want to be remarried? Tom, do you want to be remarried? Maybe you don't want to remarry. Maybe you just want to Uh, have it be what uh, it is. No, no, no. We've spoken about this. Yes, but just not right now. Um, I think it's just kind of a thing that I I would love to do. And I am with the person that I'm with as well. It's just more, I think I'm I'm actually quite happy with the way things are currently. Um, And also just circumstances as well of what's going on in the world. Like we can't have friends and family together and everything else. There's just a load of other different things that basically just moving parts that all say, Yes, but at some point later. Yeah, I think I could do love without marriage. How about the gentleman in the panel here? Well, Tom, I, I, I could see, uh, I, I'm not ruling in or out marriage. I don't think marriage is, at this point, is the goal because I don't plan on having more kids or anything like that. But So I, I don't feel the society pressure of getting married you know i think the end goal would be to get into a relationship but i struggle even like you know meeting you know you go on the dating apps and pretty soon you're meeting two or three women in a week and i don't even like to stretch that out for more than a couple of weeks like uh, you know if if i want to try to hone in on one i don't want to be like talking to two or three women i can't keep track of their ages of their kids and their and all this stuff and, and then you see them a second time and you're like now remind me again are your parents living or not you know and i just hate 
being looking like an inconsiderate ass to him. So I, I would rather just try to focus on one at a time if I could. And it's, that's not a societal pressure thing. That's just me trying to be the best person I can for that person. Yeah, I, I think for me, um, maybe similar to Todd, I'm, I'm, I don't rule out marriage. I mean, I'm, I'm open, I guess, open to it, but it's definitely not a goal. I'd love to be in a great relationship. Let's put it that way. Once I get to that point where I'm in a great relationship, you know, that opens up the door to other possibilities. And marriage could be one of them, but, you know, I don't think I would feel like I was missing anything if I never got married again. Um, but I but I do uh, desire to be in a in a wonderful relationship that, you know, that could lead to marriage or not. But um, <laughs> Sylvester, your, your story reminded me of a, a funny story of my own. Um, a couple, a few years ago, I went out on a date with this woman, um, really, really interesting woman, um, a lawyer in D.C., um, uh, also a pretty accomplished musician. She... Uh, she disclosed during, I think, the first date, she uh, was actually bisexual and in a committed relationship with another woman and that they were both missing, you know, male energy and were trying to uh, find a boyfriend. It's like um, the lottery for men, Dennis. Yeah. Well, at first I was like, whoa, this is, this is cool. You know, interesting. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying do you have, it. Do you have her number still? Right. <laughs> Pass it around. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk slide. We'll talk offline. Um, <laughs> the but, networking uh, has begun. But, I love it. But, but, but then, but then she um, went on to, I think on the next date to describe exactly what they were looking for. And what they both wanted was six, seven white guy from Minnesota. <laughs> hey, you know, baby. Um, <laughs> but they, they both essentially wanted this one guy to be in their lives who provided each of them with the full experience of having a dedicated boyfriend. Um, in other words, kind of a bespoke experience of a relationship for each of them. You know, individual time, individual dates, um, individual special gifts and attention. And, and the more she described, I was like, this sounds like a freaking lot of work, man. You know, I think it's hard enough to fully love one person, you know, um, but to give all of that to two people, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I, I guess if you get to Christmas or Valentine's Day and you think, yeah. what do I get? You don't want to have to think, what do I get twice? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, it's turn number two birthdays. That's the other thing. Right. There you go, man. I mean, everything is, is multiplied, man. Oh, and this is like, so fascinating. As the only woman on this cool. panel, this is so fascinating. <laughs> you know, um, so anyhow. So before our time runs out, I know we could talk about dating for a <laughs> long, long time. But there is something I absolutely want to discuss with you gentlemen today. And I feel there are a lot of myths and stereotypes about divorced dads that are un. Fair. Would you agree with that comment? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I would like for Absolutely. you to help me. I mean, I'm not going to speak for you. Obviously, you're you're the the gentleman on the panel. How can we debunk some of those myths today? For example, fathers are not babysitters. You are not babysitters, gentlemen. What is another myth or stereotype that you would like to debunk on this podcast today about being a divorced dad? I think the one is that 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 fathers can't be nurturing. I think that's that's a complete myth. I, I was I, when my daughter was uh, when my ex-wife was pregnant. I slept with my daughter's 3D sonogram picture on my pillow until she was born. I was there for all of the prenatal everything, birthing classes, her birth. Uh, I was actually really the one that woke up and fed her when she cried at night. Uh, fathers can be very nurturing. And you've learned how to do hair. And I learned how to do hair. Exactly. We, we have those emotions, those abilities, what people call the divine feminine, but we have that available. And so I, I think that's a that's a myth. I think the other myth 
is like an old stereotype about the men being the provider in an old school traditional sense. But then just break down the word about what a provider is and 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 what it's what that word basically means. And it doesn't have to be putting the roof over the head or the, the or, or the money in the in the household. It, it provider can be emotional support um, and and so many other things that fathers wear those and multiple hats just the same as mums do. We're all human and we made these tiny humans. And we're all equal in this. I think some people think like dads that get divorced, it's always about the dad trying to find sex or the next woman or whatever. And, you know, we actually spend time thinking about how to raise our children and to communicate with them and uh, set a good example and, and all, all the other things that go with being a parent. It's not like you cross off one thing and move on to the next. You you are still a parent of your children. And, you know, saw you talked about doing hair. I let my daughter dye my hair because she said it was getting too gray. And, you know, it was, it was a bonding experience. It wasn't because I cared about the color of my hair. It was just to let her practice doing hair. And, uh, you know, that was a, an intentional strategy on my part was to stay connected with her and have you know father-daughter time did you did you have your nails painted red like mine i have let my I nails see a get, photo of get that. painted before there are no photos there will never be mine. photos <laughs> never be photos <laughs> i'm with you todd some things remain secret right dennis how about you what is a myth you'd like um, to you know i i think the, the other gentleman on the panel have pretty much said everything that i was thinking about or, or wanting to say you know um, and um you know it's it's really an honor to be it feels good to hear to hear you know men other fathers talk about stuff like this you know um we we do love our children we are committed to our children we are not single dads because we don't want to be in families with our children yeah it's just good to to be amongst you fellows and, and blokes in the case of tom but when you when you've got the co-parenting side of things and the kids going through between the two homes i've actually found in my experience i'm actually a better and more present when i had my designated days as opposed to when we were when we were lived together when we when me and mum were together because i would leave at 6 30 morning go to work and get home at nine at night the weekend would be spent doing stuff around the house or uh, or trying to recoup from the work for the week um and we didn't really get to spend much time together where, whereas now my time is really focused and my my presence and, uh, and time is spent with them to really enjoy that and i was just wondering if that's something that others have found as well that you really get more quality than quantity i suppose i think that with 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 my daughter because i was in a situation where i was the primary i had her most of the time her mom had her every other weekend um that was a challenge man it was um i had to really get clear about my intention with my daughter um, she was so young and she was so little and she still even then had so many questions but i had it i had to learn how to be selfless even more so to be honest with you um because her mom did do her hair you know her mom was there her mom was around and so i had to really get clear about my intentions and then i would tell women it was kind of weird because women that wanted to day where our days our weekends were the same so i had my my daughter when they had their kids and so so it was you know what i mean so it was like that kind of thing so i had to learn how to do that uh, great question though. well i want to end this delicious conversation having all of the dads use one word to describe fatherhood what would that one word be I'll, I'll go ahead and start. And, um, you know, Tom, I, I hear you um, on how the word provider is used as usually just focusing on kind of the financial bit of it. But I'm, I'm going to use the word provider, but but in the broader context, right? Um, provider of, of 
of support, of, of, of love, of encouragement, of, uh, and, and material things as well. It's needed, you know, I think um, that's, that's what I find fatherhood to be. And, um, and I think it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you're a provider, but it's, 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 it's I'm sure a lot of you can attest to it. It's just a privilege, right. To do so. So yeah, that's me. Yeah. My, my, my word was, I was kind of juggling between either privilege or kind of an honor really, because it is, mm-hmm. it, it, it keeps going forever, doesn't it? And it, it's just that's such a reward to be that guide for people, to be that guide for people and to be that, that, that one's come to a voice that I always want my kids when they're older, when they're in their 30s, 40s, whatever, I want them to choose and want to come and see me not because i've made them feel like they have to and that that's just due to having an honorable opportunity to be that person for them my word is going to be you know it's funny tom my, my my last name is raymond so it actually comes from europe and it actually means wise protector and so that's my uh, my one word would be protected, not just physical, but of their hearts, of their emotions. Th- those are some of the things that I think of when I think about about being a dad. And this is Todd. My my word would be pride or proud. And it's um, there's a little bit of family background to it. Our family didn't use the word love a whole lot growing up. Love was a word you used when you dropped someone off at the airport and you thought they might die in a plane crash. So <laughs> it's like I love you wow. and hope you don't die kind of thing. So we didn't use it that often. But but the word pride or proud of you was more common. So with that context, you know, I'm just so proud of my kids and the whole transition. And and as I was thinking about this answer just now, I was thinking, you know, I'm probably even proud of my ex-wife, how well she's handled things too. But but particularly of my kids, I mean, it's just, it, they've been great throughout and, it, and it's a challenge. And I, you know, my youngest is the one that I worried about the most because she was younger in the process and, and she's done really well through the whole thing too. So pride is just kind of a its own little love language in our family. I feel so inspired by this conversation and I just know it's going to help a lot of dads who are maybe newly into this whole world of being a divorced dad. So thank you so much, gentlemen, for this candid, rich, powerful, delicious conversation. And I wish all of you a fabulous Father's Day month. Let's just make it a month of celebrating being a delicious dad. You've been amazing, Sadie. Thank you so much for inviting us. Oh, I'm so glad we could all be together. It's really important for everyone to understand more of the point of view of a divorced dad. So this is really fantastic. Thanks, Sadie. Thanks. Thank you, Sadie. Be sure to follow, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. You can also follow Sadie's Divorced and Happy podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And be sure to visit us at divorcedandhappy.net. If you've found value in this episode or have been enjoying my podcast for a while now, I'd love for you to consider buying me a cup of coffee. It's easy. Just visit www.buymeacoffee.com and you can buy me a cup or two online. And I thank you in advance for your support. I also want to wish all of the dads on my panel an amazing Father's Day month, along with all dads who are listening. I hope it's delicious and very special. This episode reminded me that there are amazing dads everywhere. I'm your host, Sadie Marie, and I cannot wait to connect with you on the next podcast episode. Till then, you take good care.